Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. We're here for our special Ask Me Anything AMA session. Uh, we've had so much support from all of you. Uh, we really appreciate it. And so this is kind of our way of giving back a little bit and providing a little extra content for you guys who are doing so much for us. Again, if you want to support the show, you can do it via a one-time donation on PayPal or Venmo. You can go to the final schedule.com slash support, and you can find ways of doing it there. You can also become a monthly donor through Patreon. That's the easiest way, and then you can support our show. Uh, to that end, we actually have a number of new Patreon supporters. Thanks so much. Uh, Michael Kistler, joined at the Scott Skiles level, and then two Draymond Green people, uh, Say Hey Kid, which that's, and Michael Bosnick. So thanks so much, guys. We really appreciate it. And I guess we'll just kind of get into things here. Uh, Rod, we'll just go through the questions here, and it's just it's sort of a mishmash of stuff, so it's kind of fun. So the first one is, uh, what are Eric and Rod's all-time favorite books about basketball and MSU basketball specifically? Do you have an answer for this one? I do. Um Let's start with the MSU one first. I, I still think, and there are a lot of great ones. I mean, um, Jack Ebling's done some good books uh, on Michigan State basketball. Um, you know, if, if you want to really broaden it, you know, you could include books by people like Magic, um, uh, you know, that type of thing. But for my money, Although it's it's antiquated in some ways, in other ways, I think it's a great history lesson. I, I would go with Judd's book, which was released, I think, the year Izzo, during Izzo's first year. So it was the immediate aftermath of Judd's retirement. Um, covers his entire career. Uh, great insight. It's, it's the kind of book that I think people are really hopeful Izzo will write whenever he retires and I'm not sure that he will that remains to be seen because Judd got very candid about a lot of things a lot of recruiting stuff um, those those of you who are old enough to remember what it was like in the 80s especially in recruiting in the state of Michigan know that Michigan State had a very difficult time uh, and the suggestion was always that a lot of that was due to the fact that Judd played within the rules and others did not even just limited to the University of Michigan, but other schools like Missouri, Syracuse, um, others. And Judd in his book answers that pretty emphatically that yes, other schools cheated <laughs> and, and Michigan state referred to or refused to, yeah. um, Great insight, great details on a lot of that. I, I can. I haven't read. I haven't read the book. I've read it and reread it 
um, over time, but uh, I, I haven't picked it up in many, many years. But my, my recollection is that, and this isn't meant to disparage anybody, it's just to give you a sense of the lay of the land. There was a guy in the 1987 class, same class that Steve Smith was in, by the name of Doug Smith, no relation. I, I believe, I want to say Doug Smith played at McKenzie High School, which is a long since shuttered high school in Detroit. And MSU wanted to recruit him. But Judd went to look at his transcript and he said he'd never seen anything like it. There was so much whiteout tape on a transcript. <laughs> that he couldn't make heads or tails of it. And Doug Smith ended up going to Missouri, which a few Detroit area kids did at the time um, due to their uh, renowned um, assistant coach slash head bag man, rich Dr. Detroit daily. Um, that's just one example. There's a lot of them. He, it's also pretty interesting that not that this took a genius to say, but it does go to show you that he was right about a lot of things. Judd was right. Uh, he mentions in the book that his advice to Tom was do whatever he had to do within the rules to secure the commitment of a kid from Flint named Mateen Cleves. And, um, and this is like, Oh gosh, probably at least a year before it was before Mateen's senior year. Uh, and, you know, Tom Izzo, of course, was successfully able to do that, and we all know what happened. So Judd was a pretty sharp guy, but it's also a very funny book, too. Yeah. Well, I I'll, I'll also Judd, know that. Yeah. Lots, of, lots of great stories about the 79 championship team, the Scott Skiles era. He's not surprisingly very willing to defend Scott Skiles, who took a lot of grief, mm -hmm. um, especially during his senior year. Um yeah, it's I, I can't recommend it enough if you're a Michigan State fan, and maybe especially if you're a younger listener who doesn't really clearly remember the Judd era, you, you will get an appreciation for um, for what Judd was about. And that's the thing. If Michigan State didn't have a coach the caliber of Tom Ezzo, Judd would be talked about a lot more because the, the fact is the man was a hell of a basketball coach. He was not a great recruiter. I think everybody would admit that even with the cheating stuff, um, hindering him even further. But, um, as a basketball coach, he was pretty top notch. Um, and the general basketball book, I, you know, I've read a lot of them and the one I think I enjoyed and that stayed with me the most is a book from the mid 1970s by a guy, uh, a writer from Chicago named Rick Tallender called Heaven is a Playground. And Rick Tallender was a long time. He, I think he's retired now, but, but perhaps not. Um, anyway, he was a long time sports writer in Chicago. And early in his career, in the early to mid 70s, I can't remember which year, I want to say like maybe 74, 75, he went on a sabbatical and did, I don't know if he did a full year, but he did several months where he just kind of hung out on the playground basketball scene in New York City. And just some fascinating stories from a time just prior to basketball really going up another level. So we're talking about a few years prior to Magic and Bird. In fact, one of the supporting characters in the book is a guy named Albert King. Now, 
Albert King was the younger brother of a guy named Bernard King, who was one of the great all-time scoring forwards in NBA history. A guy whose career would be even greater if it hadn't been ruined by drugs. Um, but Albert King was his younger brother. And at the time, Albert King was considered the number one high school player in America over a guy named Irvin Magic Johnson. Um, and so it's kind of interesting from that perspective to see this this kid in New York City who was so highly regarded nationally. Meanwhile, reading it after the fact, we all know how the story ends. Albert King kind of had a nondescript NBA career. Meanwhile, a kid in some little town called Lansing, Michigan, in the same class, ends up becoming a megastar beyond anyone playing at the time um, in just a couple short years after that. But anyway, it's a it's a fascinating book into another period. It's it's before the real advent of AAU basketball. So high school basketball still matters. Mm -hmm. But more than that, um, especially in the inner city, you had guys who were it's it's tough to clearly identify good guys and bad guys because there are people who definitely have their hands out looking for money but who at the same time were also legitimately helping kids find an opportunity to at least further their education to get a scholarship somewhere anywhere and it was at a time when you know for a variety of reasons but mostly technology it was possible for great talent to slip through the cracks in a way it just isn't anymore. So I highly recommend that one. Heaven is a playground, Rick Tellinger. Yeah. My answer is very short when I actually, I think the only book I've read with basketball in it at all is uh, when I was a kid, I had, you know, a hundred strange sports stories. And I think that was pretty much the extent of it. I don't, I haven't read much of that. I've, I, you know, for a long time with medical school, I didn't really read much as far outside of medical texts and stuff. So, right. Yeah, uh, I know the feeling. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, you know, I've recently read the science fiction series Expanse, which is fantastic, and Wheel of Time, which is fantasy. And if you want a nonfiction book that's really good, which is totally unrelated to basketball, it's called Daylight Robbery, which there's a lot of things that it talks about tax policy, actually, and how it historically how it changes things, like, you know, the fact that the number of windows you had in your house would. Uh, set your tax rate. And that was sort of the way of doing property taxes back in England. And so they said, you know, so people stop putting windows in, robbing them of their daylight. So anyway, kind of interesting book. Uh, and that's by Frisbee. So I highly recommend that too. Uh, and that thanks to Kyle D for that question. The next question comes from Alan Perlstein. If Jackson Kohler gets more comfortable playing Big Ten basketball and develops both his scoring and rebounding skills at this level, do you think he'll become the starting five this season? And this is something that Graham Couch alluded to earlier this summer as well. Uh, I have a, a simple two-letter answer to that, <laughs> N-O. Um, and, and the reason I say that is no knock on Jackson, and I do expect that he's going to continue to get better. But look, if you're paying attention, uh, and, and you heard Mike Garland talk about it when he was on our podcast a couple weeks ago, uh, Mati Sissoko is so much further ahead as a defensive player. Yeah right now and we all know what tends to dictate playing time at michigan state how well do you defend so um simple short answer to that no i i do not think there is a path this year short of injury and let's knock on wood that that doesn't happen um that jackson kohler will be the starting five at michigan state i i in fact i expect Mati soko to continue to get better too yeah i agree yeah and i think the only thing you could say is if Jackson Clover's out there and every time he plays 10 minutes, he's scoring 18 points or something, 
maybe then you have some, you know, then you have some sort of dilemma or question to ask the step, but it's not like he's, you know, you can see the potential there. It's just, you know, he's not you know, tearing up. That That's much. it. It's if, if right. If I, and actually I've been a little bit surprised. I thought he would be a little bit further ahead offensively, but as we've talked about, he's, he's struggled to finish at times. So I, I'm assuming the questioner is thinking, well, what happens if he starts to punch through that and he starts finishing more of these plays? I think all that's going to mean is that you've got a guy who's more productive in that backup role. Yeah. I don't see that making a difference. Yeah. So the next question also from Alan Perlstein and also from, um, uh, David Wallace Wells, they basically had the same question about Madi again. Um, so Alan asked, his, his he hit a ceiling? And David Wallace Wells asked something similar. He just seems, you know, Madi was playing really well. He's briefly sort of talked about as National Play of the Year. And then, you know, it's changed. He's certainly not what he was those first couple games where, you know, people are just raving about Madi Sissoko. Uh, so, I'll, you know, I guess that I'll start this just by saying, you know, when we were talking to Mike Garland, it was the – his thing was, well, you know, they've he's on the scouting report now, so people kind of are defending him a little differently. And he's not played basketball a whole lot. I mean, I think it's easy to forget he's only played basketball like six years. And so he's still learning things. And without someone like uh, a more senior player helping direct traffic a little bit like Malik Hall, which I think we didn't quite realize how much he directed traffic, it's made it, it the game's been a little bit tougher for him just because, you know, he's just so new. Did, did you, I, I want to, I'm distracted by something you just said. Because I didn't see that name attached to the question. Was this the second batch of questions that I didn't see? David Wallace Wells. Yeah, it was. It was one that I had that I just found. It, it's sort of related to to the that one. So I, yes, I'm gonna question. I'm gonna leave that, and I'll tell you later off offline. But um, thanks for the question, David. I appreciate that. That's um, that's kind of a celebrity listener that we have. <laughs> and uh, David Wallace Wells is a very very well known journalist. Um, for for those of you who are paying attention, and I appreciate the question, David. Um, anyway, if if I if I've got the right David Wallace Wells, and I think I do. Um, anyway, uh, so Mati Sissoko and his ceiling—that's the essence of the question, yeah, right? right. Uh, no, I don't think he's I don't think he's reached it yet, and and here's why. I think the biggest thing, what I would start with, is I think that um, although he's clearly their best defensive option right now, there are still moments and bouts of inconsistency that I think he will have from time to time in terms of pick and roll coverage, which is really what matters. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you're going to, and you're going to see the importance of that do nothing but increase as we move into January and February, because the big 10, like a lot of college basketball, but especially within the big 10 where, everybody knows your plays because you're scouted so well because the coaching tends to be at such a high level and defenses tend to be at such a high level pick and roll basketball in my opinion becomes even more and more important both ways both offensively and defensively and so you're probably still going to see from time to time Madi slip and it's it's not physical tools God knows it's not that it's just, I think he's for all the strides he's made, he still occasionally might have an issue in terms of recognition, in terms of timing, those types of things that throws him off just a half beat. We had that play. Um, it was against Northwestern, right? And I'm, I'm drawing a blank on who it was. I think it was boo Booey yeah. down the stretch. 
a very big bucket, right? Where he was just able to barely turn the corner on Mahdi. That's kind of what I'm talking about, that it's Mahdi played it okay, but he didn't play it great. And they needed him to play it great in that moment. So can he get better there? Will he get better there? Yeah, I think he will. He's already made huge strides even from last season. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's very obvious. The rest of it, look, offensively, I think he's got another level to unlock. I, I really do. Um, to me, uh, he has shown flashes, at least, of being a reasonably effective low post player, not a, not a Nick Ward, not a Derek Nix. He's, he's not certainly not a Zach Randolph, probably not even ever a Jackson Kohler, but can he be better and more consistent than we've seen over the last few weeks? Yeah, he can. And why do I think that? Because he showed you glimpses of it against Gonzaga and Kentucky. Yeah. You know, I also think what's going to help him frankly is the better that guys like um, A.J. Hogard and Tyson Walker are at getting into the lane, the more opportunities are going to open up for him at the rim. Yeah. And we've, again, we've seen flashes of that too. But no, I, I don't think he's anywhere near his ceiling. Let's keep something in mind. It is possible if he wants to take the COVID year, Matty could have two more years after this one. So Madi Sissoko is not done developing as a basketball player. And you mentioned it. I mean, what did, um, what did Mike Garland tell us and remind us, you know, Madi Sissoko hasn't played that much yeah. basketball yet. So. Yeah. I think there's a lot more there and, you know, I mean, you think about it, I mean, he's, he's in some ways just barely played. <laughs> he's, he hasn't, right. right. I mean, he's only played this is his 10 first games. Sustained playing time yeah. is this right. Exactly. Is whatever it is, 11 games. So, yeah, don't give up on Madi Sissoko or think that that what you've seen is all we're going to get. I don't believe that's remotely true. Now, I don't know how good he can get. I don't know what the upside is ultimately going to be from here, but I suspect it's it's more than maybe some people believe. Well, and I also, in some level, you know, you watch him shoot free throws and you think to yourself, it's not unreasonable to think this guy could develop an outside shot. I, You know, I it right? I mean... He looks like a pretty good stroke at the line. He's shown correct. He's been, and that's really important. Again, going into Big Ten play, you know, physicality matters. You tend to, you tend to have maybe a little more action at the rim because you're playing more half court basketball. All those types of things that matters. And you know, the fact that he can hit free throws is a positive. But you're right. We've also seen signs that I look. I don't ever expect Mati to to be a three point threat. Um, but can he more consistently say, do what Marcus Bingham was able to do last year? Remember Marcus Bingham, probably the best trick in his offensive bag was that 10 to 12 foot face up jumper. Yeah. Could Mahdi eventually develop some level of consistency in that area? Yeah. I don't think that's beyond reason might not come this year, but I think it could happen. So the next question comes from Keith Johnson. And if you are on our website in the forum, <clears throat> Excuse me. If you're on a forum, you'll see Rod's got an avatar, which is not Rod. <laughs> <laughs> so Keith Johnson asks, "Who is that picture? Oh, I'm happy. And I'm, what's the story?" I'm happy to answer this one. <laughs> I'm happy to answer this one. That is a guy, and I got to be careful here. Um, I want to make sure that I'm not uh, 
I'm not committing any slander. <laughs> um, and I don't think this because this is all I'll, pref- I'll preface this by saying much of what I'm about to say is my opinion. I think if you spend any time digging into what I'm talking about, you will see that it is fact, but it is my opinion. <laughs> uh, that is a guy named Mark Dotson. And Mark Dotson is a law professor, but he's also known um, as a guy going way back uh, on Michigan message boards. And he used to post on the earlier iteration of the Spartan Mag board as Dot Man. And (laughs) Dot Man is a Michigan slappy par excellence. Um, He's also a guy who I believe... And again, this is just my opinion, opinion, opinion. Um, (laughs) If he told me that the sky was blue, I'd really need to triple check it. Um, So I was fascinated. I've always been fascinated by him. I think he's hilarious and, and hilarious. Just a track record of predictions in terms of recruiting stuff and, you know, inside because he's a Lance, he, he teaches at Cooley Law. So um, he's a Lansing-based guy, even though he's a Michigan slappy. He was a Michigan alum, I believe. Uh, but uh, he liked to act as if he had some insight into Michigan State as well. And uh, boy, just the, the <laughs> track record a mile long of being completely and utterly wrong is just stunning how consistent he was and probably is i haven't <laughs> kept up with him he he uh my understanding is he's active in places that i'm certainly not going to spend money to see uh, <laughs> but boy in the days in the days when i did he was he was a champ so that is my tribute to old dot man <laughs> one of my favorites that's who the avatar is so so and, there you go yeah and and again Go to our website, thefinalforce.theschedule.com. You can sign up for free on our forum and interact with us uh, there, and you can see <laughs> Rod's avatar. Uh, next one also comes from Keith Johnson. So walk us through how you prep for pregame shows, what sites or info to use, uh, where do you post? Do get your postgame data. Uh, the postgame data we get from, usually we get from msuspartans.com. That's the Michigan State uh, official website where you can go to. They have a box score there, which they post soon afterwards. A couple of these games we've yeah. recorded soon afterwards, and that either has not been available because they're a little bit slow sometimes getting their their stats up. They are. Let's call a spade a spade. <laughs> and if anybody, if anybody over in the Michigan State operation is listening, please, I beg of you, you are in my observation the slowest outfit <laughs> out there in terms of getting the final official box score up, and it and it helps because the official box score as opposed to what you would find on say ESPN right. gives you a little more granular detail, the kind of stuff that we would want, like, you know, terrible stats that don't mean much like fast break points, but also things that do mean something. <laughs> um, you can see splits by half, yep. um, you know, like field goal percentage, three point percentage, et cetera. Um, you get accurate rebounding stats, which don't always exist in those quickie box yeah, scores. Like you'll find. team rebounds, um, especially. Yeah, you don't yeah, that. yeah, all that kind of stuff. So it really does matter. But you're right; that's what we do. And sometimes when MSU isn't fast enough, um, we will go to the opposition, and almost invariably, the opposing schools have it up quickly. That's why I say, Michigan State, please get your act together. Well, and 
And especially if you want to figure out which one to emulate, use Kentucky. We would Kentucky's was amazing. They showed how long teams were ahead and, you know, how long the longest streaks were for scoring. They had all sorts of things on there, which, you know, we didn't use, but it was certainly interesting to look at. And, and, and I think that's, that's perhaps an indication of the level of deep fanaticism in a fan base <laughs> that the demand is there for that. Maybe, maybe. so. I don't know. Uh, and then as far as pregame, uh, my pregame prep involves printing out what uh, Rod has provided me, uh, which makes it easy for me. Uh, that my my part of the the show is uh, other parts, uh, but I imagine a lot of you uses Google. But I anything particular that you use? Here's what I do. Uh, I do a write up that gets sh- of notes that gets shared uh, with Eric, and we use that as our uh, our template, our guideline to move through the discussion. So I will use a combination of things. Of course, what I start with and what we tend to start the analysis off with um, in every preview is data that comes from Ken Palm. And I'm relieved because we're getting into that time of the season now where Ken Palm is actually telling us, quote unquote, real things. Early on, we use it, but it's a somewhat questionable value in that and I'll try to explain this succinctly. Ken Palm's ratings start with some, they don't start everybody from a baseline. Right. You know, he has rankings that the season begins with, and they're sort of a black box. He doesn't disclose, he has not, to my knowledge, ever disclosed fully what goes into the composition of those ratings. I, I suspect it's some combination of, um, what you have in terms of returning production, some type of probable algorithm as to what expected improvement would be from those players, and then somehow translating recruiting rankings into expected production from new players, from high school players, that is. Um, But that would be a very, very rough calculus for obvious reasons. So early on, you've got a lot of noise in the data. But by the time you get, say, 10 to 15 games in, which most schools are sitting at right now, and you've gotten through the bulk of non-conference play, it starts to feel actual. The rankings start to make some sense when you're looking at them comparatively. Like where Michigan State sits relative to some other schools, at this stage of the game, it, it kind of makes sense, yeah. you know, with, with the quote unquote eye test, you know? So we do use Ken Palm because uh, I do think it tells you a great deal about macro kind of stuff. And look, I mean, a lot of it is pretty, um, is pretty objective. It's, it's hard to argue with, you know, teams in shooting the three point shot or defending against a three point shot, those percentages are what they are. Yeah. So it's just a great place to just get a quick version of that to get the actual number and then to get a ranking where they sit nationally um, in a lot of those areas. So uh, it's great from that perspective Um, where again, where there's a little bit more subjectivity is the adjusted efficiency rankings, Mm -hmm. which attempts to account for the quality of the opponent you're playing 
to some extent where you're playing them, those types of things. But again, once you work through a certain part of the uh, portion of the season, I think those numbers tend to become more trustworthy, in my opinion. So Ken Palm is great. We used to use, and, and honestly, it's something I go back and forth with about going back to. There's a, a really a nice product called Synergy. Um, that we haven't used for a few years, but we did at one point. Sam and I were using it mm-hmm. um, at one point in the beginning stages of the podcast. And Synergy is much more attuned to individual performance. And I, part of my beef with it was I felt that it was really, really good for individual offensive analysis. So, for example, you could use it to pretty readily get an answer to a question like, well, what does um, Pickett from Penn State shoot uh, on shots around the rim, say, within five feet of the bucket? Oh, okay. And you get a number, you know? And so it could tell you a lot about individual offensive play. My, my problem was on the defensive side, I didn't trust it <laughs> because – basketball especially in all respects but especially on the defensive side is a team sport yeah and to truly bring an individual level of analysis to that is a difficult task in my in my opinion and i just too often i would find that the the way that somebody was rated as an individual defender did not comport with what I knew and, and I understand the analytics guys would say I test and then proceed to roll their eyes. But, um, <laughs> uh, but honestly, it just didn't comport with what I believe to be pretty obvious reality in some of those ways. So I, I shied away from using it, but we may find ourselves going back to that again. But, uh, but Ken Palm is, is really um, the, uh, the, the starting point for us. And then beyond that, I look at the, uh, the individual team sites to get some insight into um, just the basic counting statistic stuff. And with the, to your point about the defense statistics, it's obviously not like baseball. I mean, baseball, you can have a much better feel for, you know, how, you know, a shortstop and how, you know, how many ground balls and get to what their range is and stuff like that. It- but I'll tell you something, man, even in baseball, that's the thing. I complete baseball as a sport. I'm glad you brought it up because baseball as a sport lends itself to fantastic ability of deep mathematics analysis, allowing us to get a sense of offensive production, you know, and, and some, and I tend to think even in terms of pitching, it does a pretty good job, but individual defense I mean, all you need to do is look at the fact that there are different rating systems that are used and each have their own adherence mm-hmm. in terms of defensive impact. And you frequently you will have these cases where if you watch a team play day to day, I'm trying to think of a good example. I know there have been some with the Tigers over the years where you watch a guy, say a center fielder who seems to play very, very well. And yet you look at the defensive rating systems and one or both might have him tracked as mediocre or worse. And you're like, that doesn't make any sense. I watch this guy every day. I know how many hits he seems to be taking away from opponents right, that seem right, like right. they would be hits with an average player, that type of thing. I still don't think 
um, baseball analytics has completely rock solid solved the defensive end. It's it's harder to do for a variety of reasons, but but you're on to something in that it's where we're probably going to get something that's satisfying first would be baseball because it is more individually oriented than a sport like basketball is where, I mean, I'm sorry, let's, let's look at, you know, look at the school down the road for a second. Hunter Dickinson is a truly horrible defensive player. Awful. Like just horrendous, but he played as a freshman on a team that was exceptional defensively. So, how did that all work out? Well, what part of the equation was he was playing with four other guys, mostly all veterans, by the way, Mm -hmm. who were able to help compensate for his individual weaknesses. And so the whole was still very, very effective, which if I was looking at synergy at the time, Hunter Dickinson probably graded out better than what he actually was. Sure. Because he was helped flash forward last year. And so far this season without that kind of help, and their team defense is horrendous. And he's a big part of why it's horrendous, because he's terrible. <laughs> um, that's just one favorite example of mine. Yeah. I like how you hold back on this, too. That's really it. Well, Hunter Dickinson, <laughs> you know, some of our listeners are probably aware. He, yeah, we'll get into that probably in a couple of weeks here. With pretty me. amazing stuff, man. Yeah, and you're, I, boy, who is running the asylum down I, there? I, I that, am that, shocked at how, how what's been going on in, uh, that at least this publicly. Guy, he, he pops off about Arizona State, gets destroyed, <laughs> absolutely wrecked. And you would think any other place, okay, he learned a lesson, but if he didn't learn a lesson, his coach would make sure he learned the lesson and keep him away from microphones for a while. (laughs) Instead, no, no, he goes and doubles down this weekend about an elite program that happens to be a few miles from his own. And by the way, he's got a game coming up with him in about three, four weeks, three weeks, I guess. Yeah. Not smart. And, and, and it's especially ironic considering how dumb it was that he was talking about people getting admitted to various <laughs> schools, which I found really precious. But anyway, we'll, we'll come back to him in a couple of weeks. Oh, it's and I, I can't wait. Them, yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> All right. So the next one comes from one of our uh, great posters over on our forum. Again, come on over to tffinots.com slash forum and sign up for a free account. Uh, it's from at Hazelmotes. Who has the highest ceiling for the season on this team? Hogard, Walker, Akins, or Hauser? You want me to tackle that first? Well, I mean, I guess I, I guess my feeling is just looking at this. Uh, Hauser, I not that he's hit a ceiling, but I don't think Hauser's going to be a whole lot different by the end of the season. I think he kind of is what he is right now. Agree. Um, I think Walker I think is, is. We've seen we've seen a version of the best of Joey Hauser. I think so. I don't I think mean, there's a lot more. Yeah, yeah I think so too. I agree. I think, Which is pretty good, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's been, you know, in some ways, he's been the steadying force in this team the last, during this sort of stretch with the with, uh, with the injuries. Absolutely. Uh, he's a guy you don't, it's funny, because, you know, two years ago, people were moaning about Joey on the floor, and now it's like he's, no one even thinks about him. They didn't even talk about him because he's just a steady force. Uh, you know, I think Walker also is a guy who, I, I think he can probably be a little bit better, but I think he's kind of what he is, too. I don't think see him going a whole, whole lot higher. I mean, Akins is the obvious choice, because... I think we've yeah. not seen what he could be. I mean, and I think there's a lot of room for Hogard from a leadership standpoint, especially to, to grow. I suppose the highest ceiling, it would probably be Akins, but you know, I think, I think Hogard would have some room to move as well. 
if you i think if i i agree with you on this if if you're if you're defining the terms as they're commonly understood and saying whose best version is best it's jade nakins because jade nakins is the one guy there that i think if he gets somewhere near the best version of what he could be with his tools um his skill set he could be an nba player I think Hogard maybe has that potential, but I'm I'm very much in a maybe camp mm-hmm. on that. And the other two guys, I'd love for them to prove me wrong, but I'd be a little bit surprised if they were NBA players. Yeah. So the answer to it pretty clearly, I think, is Jade Nakins. Maybe the other way I look at the question is, who's most likely to be closest to the best version of themselves this season? And... I would say, and again, this isn't so much Jaden's fault because he's had to battle through so many injuries, but I would say the other three guys would all be better candidates than Jaden is right now just because they haven't had those disruptions. And they're also older. They're, they're, they've yeah. played more games, right. you know, all of those things. But, yeah, I think it's – look, Jaden Akins is – the, and this is going to change soon. When you get that recruiting class in here next year, MSU's athleticism <laughs> – <laughs> which has long been a calling card of this program is elevator going up yeah. again when you get those four guys in. But, um, but for now, this is not a particularly high end athletic version of Michigan state basketball. So Jay Nakins really pops because he is a guy who fits that traditional mold right. for MSU. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, so, next one also from uh, at Hazel Moats. Uh, which MSU player or players have the best chance of making an all conference team based on what you've seen so far? You know, and I don't know if all conference means like you can have all defensive team because I think, I think Walker has a chance of making that, right? But, you know, for all Big Ten? I would define it as first team, second team, or honorable mention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how I would define it. So not not all defense. It's it's first team, second team, honorable mention. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I think a, a lot of these players have a chance of being in one of those. I think, you know, Hauser certainly and Hall, if he comes back healthy and he has a good half of the season with the, in the Big Ten. Um, and you know, I think Hogart and Walker, I think actually all those guys that were mentioned in the last question have a chance of being in there somewhere. Yeah. A healthy Malik call certainly 
is good enough to potentially, and he's got enough games left. He could still end up playing 18 Big Ten games, which, by the way, as we're recording this on Monday night, the word is Malik is back practicing. He's not going to play against Oakland, but they are targeting Buffalo, so it is full steam ahead. He was doing defensive drills, which involves a lot of movement, so I liked hearing that. Um, So we expect he's going to be back soon. Thank God. Uh, But um, yeah, I agree with you. And it's hard sorting out among those guys. I will, I will give my best effort at an answer though. I think the guy who's got the best shot at the highest level designation, wherever that's going to be first team, second team, whatever, I would probably lean right now toward AJ Hogard mm-hmm. for this reason. He is the guy who's likely to impact the most areas of the game most consistently. You know, he's he's clearly going to be their assist leader and right at the top of the conference. Uh, I think he's going to consistently be a productive scorer, might not lead MSU. He's not leading them now, but he's going to be up there. If he's finally gotten back on the beam in terms of providing defensive consistency, he can be very important for Michigan State there. And then we've already seen he's rebounding at a reasonably decent level, too. So I'd go with Hogard, but, boy, it's a close call because any of those guys could do it. And, and what hurts them all, by the way, is the fact that any of them could do it. <laughs> right, exactly. Michigan State does not have a guy who's going to end up – we already know this. Nobody's going to end up averaging 18, 19 a game. Yeah. Right. You know, that's just not going to happen. So you don't have that one guy who separates himself as a scorer from the pack. So it's like it was last year, although it looks like maybe slightly better level. Um, you're going to have a lot of guys say between 10 points and 14 points a night. Uh, and then finally from Hazelmoats, uh, do you believe the big 10 will expose Purdue because it relies on two freshman guards who are not especially athletic? Also, do you have a uh, good feel about the, predictions for the conference champs all right let's go to the last one first if you remember and this was my weasel get out of jail it was the best answer ever (laughs) i picked indiana to win it but i also said indiana won't win it (laughs) (laughs) i feel very good about the second part of that right now i do not think indiana is capable of winning the big 10 and for exactly the reasons I suggested back then, yep. I had real questions about their guard play. And sure enough, their guard play is not Big Ten title caliber. It is not Final Four caliber. It's probably not even second weekend of the NCAA tournament caliber. Sell on Indiana. Sell hard. And the only thing which gives me any pause is, ironically, the fact that their starting point guard, Xavier Johnson, looks like he's going to be out for a little while with a foot injury. Yeah. Which I thought those only happened in Michigan State. I thought so but, too. He might, maybe he was um, going to get transferred to Michigan State and had, couldn't now. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But um but anyway, uh and and I say that because sometimes that's what ends up turning around the guy who's uh definitively proven he's not up to it gets but is playing all the time gets hurt and they're forced to turn to somebody else. I don't think that's going to be the case in Bloomington, but yeah, yeah. Um, it's anyway. So, so to answer that, um, I picked Indiana cause I had to pick someone, but I also knew, <laughs> I just knew 
this was not a team that was going to win it. And I'm pretty convinced that part is accurate. Um, Purdue, Purdue would be the favorite by just about everybody right now. They're unbeaten. They've got some very high level wins. They've played pretty well. You know, you have to give them their due, but the, the listener is pinpointing where I think the issue is. I, I will, I will share with you. I had a text exchange. I'm going on a Jack Ebling show tomorrow to do a, a, a quick segment. And he was asking me what I thought about the big 10. And, you know, I, I said basically the same thing that this, uh, this listener just said, which is they've got those freshman guards and they played well, but one, you'll wonder about them over the long haul defensively because they're not particularly athletic. And then two, we know this freshmen in the big 10 traditionally hit a wall. There is a point in the season where they just kind of crash for a little while. And what you hope is that there's enough time for them to get it back by the time March rolls around, but some point between late January and the middle of February, freshmen tend to hit a wall. And the fact that they're relying so heavily on two freshmen back there, that would be a concern for me too, on that level that maybe even offensively, it doesn't keep up the way it has been. But Jack pointed out, he said, look, Purdue is one Zach Eady hamstring strain away from being a 10th place team. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably right. I mean, you could say that about a lot of people, you know, in this league. I mean, Michigan is one Hunter Dickinson hamstring away from Playing finishing fifteenth oh, and a fifteenth okay. and a fourteenth team league. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, but but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's right. He's absolutely right. I mean, unlike last year, if last year if that happened, you wouldn't have worried about it so much because well, they've got Trevion Williams, they yeah. can just plug him in and it Jay won't Knight, be as yeah. good, but they'll be okay. This year, uh, yeah. they could do some things. They could play Caleb first at center, and they'd probably be okay. But but Edie has become so critical to them and is putting up such huge production that I don't think you easily replace that or replace it much at all if he were to get hurt. So, uh, But getting back to the premise of the original question, yeah, I do think they deserve to be the favorite right now based on what they've done, but I also – think they've still got questions like everybody else we said it coming into the season the big 10 is loaded with teams with a lot of questions nobody is coming in looking as if they've got all the answers and despite the fact that i think the league as a whole has played better than we anticipated better than almost anybody anticipated i still think that's true you know we're gonna you know we're gonna do another episode here um before uh before big 10 play kicks back in where we evaluate where the conference is. And uh, I think it's true. You know, I told Jack when he asked me, pick your top five, I I can't do it. (laughs) Purdue's the favorite, but they're vulnerable. And beyond that, throw a blanket over like two through 10, which is exactly where we were in October. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And And I would say to your point, interesting too, is when you look at the people who've been, who submitted our answers for our contest at, if they submitted late three quarters of them picked Purdue, but early no one had, you know, so it's very interesting. Right. <laughs> that, that's, yeah. I mean, they're kind of where everyone else is at this point. Right. Right now. Right. I mean, look, I would say this, I would still like Purdue's position in this sense. 
uh, there's a trust level that I have, and I think a lot of people have with Matt Painter, that you figure even when they hit some points where they're going to struggle, which I think is going to happen, um, they're only going to struggle so much. They're only going to sink so much. And in a league that is as riddled with teams with questions as this one is, you know, would five losses get you an outright title? It might. Yeah, I think so. It's at this point, it's kind of hard to imagine Purdue being much worse than that, mm-hmm. but who knows? Yeah. I mean, we're, we got a long way to go, a lot of games to play and they are a team with some vulnerabilities for as good as they've looked, you know, look, they barely got by Davidson and Davidson's an okay team. They're not as good as they were last year. So yeah. And Nebraska, they're not right. I mean, they barely and Nebraska. Yeah, exactly. Lost that game as and well. Nebraska. So the idea that Purdue is a juggernaut, I mean, look, even at, for all the struggles that they had last year, if you put last year's Purdue team on the floor with this year's Purdue team and tipped it off right now, I would take last year's Purdue team. No questions asked. Yeah. I'd do it in a heartbeat. Uh, the next question comes from uh, form again. It's at MGC underscore 07 asks, what player do you guys think takes the biggest leap from now until March? I think it gets back to that. The answer to our ceiling question, yeah, right? I think so too. Easy and easy answers. Jaden Akins, because if he stays healthy, you're going to, I believe, continue to see his consistency cycle up and that will allow his upside to be more consistently unlocked. We still have not seen a Jaden Akins game yet that I, uh, of the level that I think he's capable of delivering. So, um, I, the pretty easy answer for me is Jaden Akins. I assume you're in the same, you're in the same spot. I am. Although I would, my caveat would be, I think we're going to see some big changes from some players. I think Kohler will look like a completely different player by the end of the season. And I think, uh, I think we'll see, Probably not as much progression, but some progression with Cooper. And I think Mahdi's going to look a lot different, too, by the time we get to March. I think I think people's impressions of him is going to be different than what it is right now. It's when he gets, if, I mean, assuming everyone's healthy and we have, you know, Malik Hall's back there. I think we may see more of the old Mahdi and someone who's a little bit more confident even on the offensive end. If Jaden Akins had been healthy this whole way and had been playing, I think, the way they expected him to in September – um, I suspect that we have we'd have landed on exactly what you just said that it would be some combination of the three big men. Yeah. Uh, so the next question comes from Sean Southers. He asks about Tom Izzo. So when Tom Izzo retires, which you know will happen at some point, we expect. Well, I'll just read his question because otherwise it's kind of hard to take out context. So are we undervaluing the Michigan State brand by just assuming his replacement would have to fall from the Izzo coaching tree? It seems like a lot we're putting on a, a lot of faith we're putting into someone like Dwayne Stevens or Drew Valentine being successful enough to be the heir apparent. I mean, obviously that's what Tom did. Yeah, I got the job 26 years ago from Judd, but Michigan State wasn't the same kind of program, elite program as it is today. Uh, we have you know Tom to thank for this, obviously, but is it unreasonable to imagine someone like a John Calipari or uh, Bill Self, you know, comes in and and takes over this program? And you know, what should we just expect that it has to be at Michigan State? person like the tree or is it going to be or can we get a big name from somewhere else and you've sort of answered this before where you say you know a guy like nate oates not to say that he's specifically but you know what draws nate oates from a power five conf you know program to michigan state right i mean 
is is this like would even Nate Oates go to Duke? I maybe I, you know I mean like you know how high up a rung do you have to go to convince someone to leave a good situation? Yeah, this is something that gets talked about periodically by Michigan State fans. It's a fair question, <clears throat> and and this is this is where I land on it. Um, if you want the best indication of what's likely to happen at Michigan State when Tom Izzo retires, I would suggest you look and and let's just, let's assume as I mostly do, that we all agree with the general premise of the listener's question that Michigan State is perhaps not a, I don't think anybody would say it's a true blue blood. I think there's only five or six of those, depending upon how you feel about Indiana. But <laughs> um, but the next level, you know, somewhere from, say, six to ten in terms of all-time programs. I think that's a fair statement, mm-hmm. a fair place to put Michigan State. Look to the two schools of that level and what they've done under similar circumstances. So two years ago, Roy Williams decides to retire. Who gets the job? Hubert Davis, who had been an assistant at North Carolina under Roy Williams for several years after he left ESPN. Okay, they stayed in-house. Roy Williams made the call. Mm -hmm. Believe it. That was Roy Williams' pick. Last year, what was even before last year, (laughs) Coach K at Duke announces he's retired. What happens? John Shire, longtime assistant at Duke, gets the picked. Who made that choice? Coach K. If you think that Tom Izzo, short of some kind of scandal, you know, something of that nature that just makes him persona non grata, if you assume that's not happening, if you think when the time comes that Tom Ezzo isn't making that choice, you are out of your mind. Right. He will make the selection. It's going to happen. Okay. So what do you think he's likely to do? Look at those two situations as instruct being instructive. In my opinion, they are telling you what's going to happen. Now, a lot of Michigan State fans, as as I suspect the listener, the questioner here would fall into this category, do not like that because they believe that the program has entered a realm in which it is basketball royalty or nearly so and should be able to go out and basically raid whatever schools that aren't named Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina and just take whomever they want that uh, who wouldn't crawl over broken glass <laughs> yeah. to paraphrase the great Brady Hoke um, to get to <laughs> East Lansing. That's not how it works. It's not, even if Michigan state were open to it, it's not how it works. Again, I, I go to a blue blood to illustrate this. Take a look at the processes. I say plural that UCLA has had to go through the last couple of times they've had a head coaching opening. They didn't get their first choice. They didn't get their third or fourth choice. I mean, when they hired Mick Cronin, I assure you, Mick Cronin maybe broke the top 10 (laughs) of their initial list. Maybe. And it's worked out okay. You know, 
so far. But that's reality. The money at Power Fives, all of them, is so good that it is hard to go out and just buy a guy in basketball. Could Michigan State do it? Yeah, but it's it's a little different than it's a little different than the football equation. So if you go back to um, Texas Tech, you know when Texas Tech when Chris Beard had that going, Texas Tech renewed his contract and paid him crazy money. I forget what his contract was, but I believe he was making more than Izzo. Mm-hmm. That's Texas Tech. Yeah. You know, now they ended up losing him to Texas because he's a Texas alum. And at this point, they're probably glad. But <laughs> yeah, that's another so. that's yeah. another totally that's another issue. point. But you get you you see yeah. what I'm saying though, right? You mentioned Nate Oates. Nate Oates is making a lot of money at Alabama. He's not leaving for East Lansing. I'm sorry, people. The, the, the one situation you might get a guy like that to move is if he's unhappy for some reason, Mm -hmm, if he's got a bad relationship going with the athletic director or with the university president, those kind of things, maybe then you've got to look at, look in the big 10, look at Maryland. Maryland has an opening when Mark Turgeon resigns just ahead of the firing squad. Right? (laughs) So they have the better part of a, of a season to find a successor. They end up with Kevin Willard. And Kevin Willard is a solid coach. He may end up doing a great job at Maryland. They're off to a good start. But Kevin Willard is nobody's idea of a coaching, a likely coaching superstar. Right? He's not, he's not the kind of guy that this listener is talking about Michigan State going to get. I'm here to tell you if you're involved in that kind of process, a Kevin Willard-like hire is probably the best you're going to do yeah. because he was a guy at a big East school that could pay him well, but not as well as Maryland. So in that situation, you were able to get it done, but you know, that didn't even, that doesn't even apply for the entirety of the big East. Yeah. You're you know, Jay Wright nobody, you know, before he retires, right? nobody He's, was going to yeah. take Jay Wright yeah. from Villanova short of the NBA. I don't even think Duke or Carolina or Kentucky could have done it. You know, um, is anybody going to be able to go out and poach Danny Hurley from UConn? I don't, I don't know about that. Yeah. You know, UConn's pretty serious about their basketball and I think they'll continue to pay them well. So it's hard. It's hard to get those guys to move. But, but the bigger thing is Tom Izzo's going to make this decision. Yeah. And my God, how many times do you need Tom Izzo to remind you of what he values? You know, you look at the way he handled the portal this year. It's pretty obvious. The word loyalty comes up a lot. It's going to be somebody who has a connection to the program. So my, and the only way it won't be is if, if at the time that it comes, there is just nobody who's even a halfway credible option. And I don't believe that will be the case, Mm -hmm. you know? Dwayne Stevens is in his first year at Western. Um, Drew Valentine is in his second year at Loyola. Those are the two guys the, the questioner mentioned. They're the two guys that I would put at the front of the line at this moment in time. They're both having tough seasons thus far, but Drew Valentine's already been to one NCAA tournament. It's too early to judge either one of them. 
you know, they're going to get their opportunity to build their programs. And I don't think Tom Izzo is on a short-term track anyway. I don't think this is a question that we're going to be um, dealing with in, in any serious manner knock on wood for at least another three, four years. Yeah, no, I agree. So there's time, there's time for, for those guys to build. If it gets to that point, they're both out of a job and there's just nobody. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe then, but my feeling has been your best bet as a Michigan state fan is to root for the guys with connections to the program to really establish themselves as legitimate options. Yeah. Because I think that's the way this is going. And I think you see it in what we know of Tom Izzo. And I think you see it when we look at the other major programs that have gone through this in recent years, you know, you see the pattern. Yeah. I'll add all of the obvious points too. You know, Tom Izzo, when he was hired, wasn't any on anyone's radar anywhere except at in East Lansing. Uh, and then, you know, you've seen what he became and most of these, you know, at some point, these great coaches are, you know, they're not anything special to start with. They don't certainly don't have a reputation and they gain that by being successful. And you don't know who that's going to be. You can guess it's the guy who managed to get the sweet 16 with St. Tom, you know, St. Peter's or whatever like that. But, you know, they could easily flame out as well. So and, and consider this, consider this, too. There was a point in time, maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago where you could make an argument that Michigan state was a job that inherently stood out as having some strengths that almost few, few, few places had it sat in the middle of prime recruiting territory, right? They had great facilities when a lot of other schools hadn't yet gotten involved in the arms race. You know, some of those advantages have been whittled away and it's not due to Michigan state falling behind. They haven't, but the recruiting stuff, look, Michigan isn't what it used to be as a talent producing state. Yeah. You still have proximity to Ohio and Indiana and Illinois, et cetera, but it's not an advantage that it once was. And I'd also add that 15, 20 years ago, Michigan was flat on its back. They have rebounded to some extent. Yeah. And, you know, are more for, so you're sharing the state with a viable program again, whereas back then you, you weren't. So you also have to consider for as, as much as we think Michigan State has become an elite program, and it is under Tom Izzo, are there inherent factors that make it an elite program? I don't know. Yeah. And, and so that has to be factored in. And then there's also the little bit about, oh, I'm following a hall of famer. Yeah. How many guys want to do that? It will be for whoever gets that job. It's going to be rough. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You can't even, you know, I'm trying to think what would compare. I mean, Shire's going through it at Duke. Certainly Uh, Hubert Davis, maybe, but Roy was never for as great a coach as he was. The guy who really went through it was Bill Guthridge replacing Dean Smith. You know, yeah, right. That was the legend at Carolina, right? Mike, what Mike Davis went through at Indiana, Jesus, you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. You yeah. know, so whomever takes the job, whoever that is, is going to be in a pressure cooker. There aren't a lot of guys that want to step into that. 
that's actually a really good point mentioning Mike Davis, because I think there's an example of someone who wasn't allowed to choose a successor, Bobby Knight. Right. And so you had a, you basically had broke the culture and had to rebuild a new one. And I think if there's one thing that you recognize if whether it's an established head coach and I think, you know, football is a good example, right? Like if you suddenly lose all your coordinators, uh, even though maybe the same head coach, you're sort of reinventing your team and, that stability is really important. That's one thing you know, Tom Izzo's had at Michigan State. He's always had a pretty uh, steady assistant coaching staff. And so there is that consistent culture. And that's the thing that if you are, you know, Duke, they've done, they've maintained that by having someone who has the same sort of, you know, they came from the storm, yep. same environment. And you'd expect Michigan State would want to do it too. Because as soon as you break that, you have to, you now maybe you think you need to break it. But if you do, you have to build some other successful way of getting, you know, the job done. And that's, that's not a, you know, that, that's not a proven uh, equation for success sometimes. And so in Indiana, when they hired Mike Woodson, finally hired a guy with an Indiana background, right? How many, they, they've gone through what, four coaches, three Davis, Kelvin Sampson, Green, Crane, Miller, four coaches to finally come back around to an Indiana guy. Now, in this case, I think it's that horse <laughs> is out again, of the barn. It's too late, but, you know, it, yeah, it's, it, it. <laughs> so I, I, I get, and I don't mean to belittle the question because it's a fair one. And it's one that I think a lot of fans have, but I just think if you're expecting Michigan state to go out there and, you know, hire the equivalent of say a John Calipari to replace Tom Izzo. I, I just think you're dreaming for a lot of reasons. I don't think that's likely. Maybe yeah. I'll be wrong, but yeah. I, I don't think so. I mean, yeah. Can you even imagine Mark Few leaving for Michigan State? You, that's a huge no, that's step it. up, it, right? It, and that's like, you know, you wouldn't even suspect that. So, yeah. Maybe maybe lightning strikes in that you don't have an Izzo tree guy that's viable and somebody else who has legitimately built a profile is unhappy where they are. Yeah. And they're looking for a place to land. Sometimes it works out, but that's lightning striking. That's not, you know, that's not likely. And I don't even remember if I mentioned that question. His name is Sean Southers. So thanks again for that question. That was obviously a very interesting one. Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, it's a, and it's one people are always talking about. All right, so the last one will be uh, Patrick Binienda asks, who's the leader in the locker room? And this is one that I think we asked Tom Kelly, and I don't even know if we asked Mike Garland too. And I guess the answer, I feel like the answer we got was, there's not one really, but it sounds like there are a number of good leaders who have not sort of taken over as like, you know, a vocal leader completely yet. Like, you know, Malik Hall sounds like he's sort of moving that AJ Hogarth's got has his had his time. And even, I mean, I think Tom Kelly mentioned uh, Joey Hauser even, which you don't really see that on the floor at all, but I imagine that's uh, you know, maybe sort of leading by example. Well, so there are a couple guys who seem to be candidates. Hogard is your point guard, and he's also shown a willingness to let his own voice be heard. The problem is, I don't think, I don't get the sense that, and this isn't even just what we heard from Coach Garland and Coach Kelly. This is a more general sense that I've gotten over time just from people that I talk to who know more than I do about the inner dynamics. I don't get the sense that, you know, AJ Hogarth is not Mateen Cleaves. Not yet. And what I mean by that is I don't think 
that his he's got that that level of respect that everybody's going to take it when he's barking in exactly the right way and use that as fuel to get better in part because he hasn't yet 100% learned to take accountability for his own deficits, his own failings. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the step. We, we kind of danced around this during the off season based on things that I had heard. And what we're talking about here is part of it that the last step AJ's really got to take in terms of the intangibles is get to the point that he can self critique. Izzo talks about this and has for years that, you know, a guy has really made it gotten to that last level of development when they can critique their own game, critique themselves and hold themselves accountable. You know, Mateen Cleaves used his voice a lot, <laughs> but Mateen <laughs> Cleaves was also fully capable of criticizing himself, of taking responsibility for things that he did wrong. He would even take responsibility for things that went wrong that weren't his fault. Mm-hmm. That's where AJ's got to get to if he's going to be the leader. A guy that I think I'm detecting signs has really made strides is Malik Call. I've watched Malik Call on the bench during this period where he's been hurt. And if you're paying attention, you will constantly see him in teammates' ears, on the bench, in huddles. Instruct. You see him actually instructing, coaching guys. That sometimes is something that happens to players when they have to sit for a while. So it's not an unusual experience. And I think that, and Malik was showing some signs of it before he got hurt Mm -hmm. as well. So I'm hopeful that he might be the guy for this team to kind of take those reins. I have a little more faith in him than anybody else in that area right now, but we've got to see. I, I think the unfortunate truth is you love to have the obvious answer. You love to have the, oh, it's Travis Walt. No, it's Draymond Green. No, it's Mateen Cleaves. You don't always have that. And you can have great teams, by the way, that don't have the obvious answer in that area. The 09 team had Draymond Green as a freshman. He wasn't that guy on that team. They didn't have any. Well, Travis Walton, I'm sorry. It was Travis Walton <laughs> on that team. Let me go to a better example. The 05 team that went to the Final Four. They didn't have any one guy who really was the focal point leader of that team. If you look at the 19 team, they did have, of course, Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman as great players, but those guys weren't barking at teammates all the time. You know, I think they were great leaders in their own way, but they weren't that, that, you know, not afraid to hear the sound of their own voice type of player. You know, so there are different ways you can do it. So the fact that MSU doesn't have the obvious answer here, I don't think necessarily dooms them to not fulfilling whatever their potential is as a team. But, you know, with the program Tom Izzo's built, the natural inclination and reaction is to want to have that loud guy who's dragging people with him. Right. Yeah. And I would just say, in addition, is that this the senior leadership on this team is much better than it was last year. Uh, you know, if you yes. maybe not, you know, compared to what we had. So I think we're miles far ahead from where we were last season. 
Well, we're going to wrap up the AMA session. Thanks so much, everyone, sending in questions. We actually, I apologize, if we didn't get to your question, we'll have to, we'll have another one of these at some point. Uh, you know, it's going to be busy when it get to the Big Ten season, but we'll, you know, maybe we'll squeeze something in at some point. I don't know. We'll do our best. Um, so thanks again for contributing to the questions. Thanks for supporting the show. Again, I'd encourage you to go to the Final Four on the, the schedule.com or tffinots.com. There you can contact us, sign up for email list, get, join the forums, support the show financially, whatever you want to do. We appreciate it. So until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.